John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to just come on this place right now. Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, we don't know anything. And so, Lord, as we continue on in this summer, Lord, we just, we are so desperate for revival. We're so desperate for your Holy Spirit to move in us and to use us. And so, Lord, we are helpless. We're only branches. We can't boast about anything. We can't boast about our works. We can't brag about how awesome we are because we are only something because we're connected to you. We pray, Lord, that we're able to recognize that, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would just fill this place. Help us to be changed tonight, Lord, from the inside out, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite theologians, had this concept. He said, nearness is likeness. Nearness is likeness. What does that mean? Well, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, Jesus is starting to talk about this. As you know, this is now, we are past the point where Jesus says, I, my hour has now come. Before, he was talking to the disciples and the disciples were following him everywhere he went. He said, my hour has not yet come. But all of a sudden, when he comes to the Last Supper, he says, my time is up. And let me leave you with a couple things before I go. And so we start talking to him, saying, I am the true vine. And we have all these I am statements. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All these different I am statements. But all of a sudden he starts talking about, I am the vine. Why does he do that? Because he wants them to remember their source when they're about to enter persecution. As Just as Jesus was preparing his disciples, as he was about to leave this world... And go to the cross to die for their sins, your sins, my sins. Before he could do that, he needed them to know he was going to send the Holy Spirit. He would not leave them orphans. But they would have an advocate, a person to help them in their time of need. So that even though he wasn't there to take care of every single problem. When they're on that boat and they're terrified and they're scared and they're looking for Jesus. They still have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And now he says, listen, you're about to enter some tough times and you're not going to have me around but you're going to have something better you will have the holy spirit not because the holy spirit is greater than jesus but because the holy spirit can enter more people because he's a spirit 
and he can dwell inside of you once that Jesus dies on the cross to tear the veil so that we can enter into the holies of holies just as the temple would have those different separations. Now there's no longer any separation and the real temple is not a place, but it's a place inside of your heart. It's not a physical location, it's a spiritual location inside of your heart. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. In other words, I am the only source. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Some of us are going through some dry seasons in life. Everyone does. You are not uh, anomaly for thinking that you are going through a time where you just do not feel God. But ask yourself, when you feel like you're distant from God, what does that actually mean? I, I feel so far from God. What does that mean when you say that? You can't mean spatially located. You are spatially located away from the presence of God because God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. So what does it mean to feel far from God? Think about that for a second. We've all felt it, but we know he's there. Especially if we've asked Jesus to come and live inside of our heart, we know that he spatially should be located somewhere within our soul. Within the very heart of ourselves, our core is actually we have died to ourselves and it's not we that live, but Christ that lives in us. I am crucified with Christ, Paul says. It's not no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I live is no longer to the flesh, but unto God. So what does that mean to no longer feel like you are close to God? Well, it's not a sense of nearness, it's a sense of likeness. This is so important, and this is something we all have to learn for tonight, myself included, as I really feel like the Lord just gave this to me right before uh, I came up here today. To know the difference between nearness and likeness. You are not spatially far away from God, but when you feel distant from God, that's because you are unlike God. Do you see the difference? The vine and the branches. The branch can't really be spatially far from the vine. It's connected. But is the branch like the vine? Is the branch bearing fruit just as the vine bears branches that bear fruit is the branch doing something or is the branch withering? And that's why he says in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. You see, Jesus starts to say, listen, a branch that is really not part of the vine is a branch that will be cast out. So the question is, are you like the vine? Are you one with Jesus in a sense of his calling, his purpose, and you've asked him to be the, the Lord of your life? And if you have, then recognize that your distance is only in a sense of likeness. You just feel unholy, and he is so holy. He's so far from you because maybe you haven't been abiding in him. What does the word abide mean? Anybody. When Jesus says, abide in me, what is he talking about? Abide. 
to completely depend on him. You're exactly right. To remain in him. The branch doesn't have to try harder. The branch doesn't have to work harder in order to bear fruit. It only has to remain in the vine. And then in the same way, Jesus, when you feel far away from Jesus, the solution is not try harder to reach Jesus. It's draw nearer to him by acknowledging he is your source. If that sounds confusing, I'll break it down a little bit more. Jesus is your source. So any fruit that you bear would be fruit that is natu a natural response to being connected to the vine. And that's why he says in verse 2, every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Here's the thing. The word prunes is the same word in the Greek for cleans. And that's what he does. You feel like you haven't been bearing fruit. Well, first of all, what are the fruit? We don't even know what the fruit are. Is he talking about the fruit of the Spirit? Is he talking about some other fruit? What is he talking about? Well, if you look at the context of what he's saying, later on he, he shows that the fruit are products of effective prayer in Jesus' name. Because he says, without me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire in verse 7, and it shall be done for you. So in other words, the fruit that you bear are the following things that we see in this chapter. Number one, obedience. Your fruit, if you, remained, if you remain in Jesus, will be obedience. Secondly, your fruit will be joy. We see that in verse 11. Thirdly, your fruit will be love for one another. And fourthly and finally, your fruit will be bearing witness of Jesus or evangelizing. So those are the four fruits that he talks about that you will bear if you remain in Jesus. So if you feel like you're lacking joy, you're finding it hard to obey, you're finding it hard to love one another, you are finding it hard to bear witness of Christ in the world and to represent him, perhaps you need to recognize that Jesus first has to prune you so that you will bear more fruit. Has there been fruit in your life? Has there ever been joy? Have you ever had a time where you found it easy to obey his commands? That you loved his word, you read the Bible, and you found that place in your heart and in, in, in that time of life. I remember right before I came on staff here, I, I think, honestly, I think that was my strongest point in my entire life when it comes to my, my walk with the Lord. And not saying like I've descended and I'm like not as holy, but just the pure joy of serving the Lord there. Be, not because anyone required me to, not because it was my job or occupation, but just simply because I just wanted to know more of God. I would be on my knees every single night saying, Lord, search me, try me, know my anxieties, see if there's any wicked way in me. Every single night, I would start off my prayers not with, Lord, I need this done. Lord, I feel like this. I would start off my prayers like, Lord, what have I done today that was displeasing to you? And that's the heart that I'm constantly searching back for. I want that heart. And I mean, like, I've definitely matured since then. I've definitely grown, and God has definitely developed me. But that pure essence of just loving the Lord, that joy that was there, I would like read my Bible and I'd be frustrated when I didn't remember what I read. I remember talking to Andy Dean because he wrote a book on how to study the Bible. 
And I remember telling him, like, I just, I want to know how to remember the things that I read. So I looked at the book of James, and every single chapter I wrote out a verse, and I drew pictures for everything in the verse, so I could remember everything from the book of James. One verse, I write a picture, because it's easier to remember pictures than words. I draw a picture, remember what the first chapter is about, second chapter, third chapter, fourth chapter, and some of these pictures are so wack, I still remember them to this day. But it was just not because I had to, not because I was studying for a message, and not because anyone required me, but just because I found the joy and I wanted to be pleasing to the Lord. That is the result of remaining close to God. I'm not saying this like I'm trying to put myself on a pedestal. I'm saying that because that's, like I said, that is the heart I constantly chase after time after time again. Not the, I'm going to try harder. I probably should try a method to help me study the Bible more. I should try harder to obey his commandments. In fact, when he talks about obedience, what he says in verse 10 is, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It's actually better translated, if you are abiding in Christ, you will keep his commandments. It will be the natural overflow of remaining attached to the vine. So like I said, you don't have to think, let me bear fruits. God says, let me clean you so that you can bear more fruit. Let me prune you, make you a branch that is able to produce the fruits of obedience, the fruits of joy, love for one another, and so that you can bear witness of me in the world. But the pruning process may hurt. You may feel like you don't want to be cleaned. You may feel like... Like, diagnosis is just too great for you. Like, Lord, do you really have to take that part of me too? Yes, I do. Because if, if I don't prune you, you will not be able to bear more fruit. Honestly, if you think about it, none of us sins because we don't want to. We sin because we do want to. None of us looks at junk and none of us does the wrong thing because we're just like, oh, I just, I just happened to do it. It's because there's a wicked part of us that wants to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But that's why Jesus says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the, the lust of the flesh. Why do you think Paul was warning us time after time again to kill the flesh? To make sure it doesn't come back from the dead. It's because he knows, and he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. I know what it's like. There is a sad part to our lives where we know that there are some evil desires that are still there. And that's because while we are still in this body, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, while into this body, we still groan. Not because we want to get rid of it, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed so that mortality can be swallowed up by life. Not because I want to get rid of this evil body. And, and some people back in, the, in those days, the Greek philosophers would say that the flesh is evil, it was bad, but the spirit is good. It's not because we have that same kind of belief. We believe that God created good bodies, but he's actually going to make us better bodies when we are united with him, when we're caught up in the, in the twinkling of an eye. He will change us so that we are more ourselves than we ever could hope to be. And that is the result of just staying your course. Just saying, Lord, here am I. I want to know you. And I know that if there's any distance between us, it's not spatial difference. It's not spatial distance. It's in likeness. It's because I feel so unholy. I feel so unlike you. But listen, 
We're all going to be unholy until Jesus comes back and redeems us fully. But that's why recognize when you are pruned, when you're convicted of sin, don't ignore it. Rejoice when you enter various trials, even when you're tempted. Even when you're like, why am I tempted by that still? Recognize that God is testing you so you come out pure as gold, so that you can withstand any trial, any temptation. He's pruning you so that you can bear more fruit. He's not trying to take your joy. He's trying to give you greater joy. So you are already clean, he says, because of the word which I have spoken to you. In verse 3, his word is the thing that cleanses us. The importance of meeting here weekly. The importance of talking about this with your friends. Whether it's at youth group or whether you're with your friends. The importance of talking with the, about the word of God is it's the very agent that cleans you from the inside out. As Ephesians says, that you would be washed by the water of the word. Without it, we are left to ourselves and we will not bear fruit. But he says in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You're not going to find fruit. You're not going to find productivity aside from Jesus. As it says in Genesis chapter 1, dust you are and to dust you will return. You are useless without God. You are nothing without God. I am nothing without God. But with God, I can overcome any obstacle. I can climb any wall. I can jump over any tower. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because the key is, as you remain attached to the source, you find your power. Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, obviously, he's not talking about you are unable to literally do absolutely nothing. He's not saying that you're not able to walk around and breathe apart from the vine, apart from the source, because there are people in the world that are apart from the vine and they look like they're functioning. But what he's saying is you will not be able to bear fruit. You will not be able to be productive in your life. Any joy that you have is temporary apart from the vine. But joy inside the commands of the Lord is otherworldly joy. It's a joy that the world can't even touch because it's above humanity. All the joys that you can obtain in this life will always leave you miserable because at some point they will always end. But a joy that's found in Jesus is eternal because Jesus is eternal. So when he says, I have given you joy to the full, it's a joy that extends even past the day that you die into eternity. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you will bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. He says here a challenge. He issues a challenge. If you ask... What you desire, it shall be done for you, as long as his words are living, are remaining, abiding in you. This is not a conditional statement. This is not saying if you're not abiding, you're going to be cast out necessarily. It's saying if you're not abiding, perhaps you were never part of the vine to begin with. So the question is, are you allowing the cleansing agent, are you allowing the word of God to dwell in you richly? 
so that it comes out in psalms and spiritual songs and, and joy and rejoicing to the Lord? Are you reading his word daily? Are you in it every single day? Because you know if his word is abiding in you, you will ask whatever it is that you desire. Lord, I want to bear more fruit. I want joy. I want to obey your commands. I want to walk in your ways. And that will be done for you. And it's by the fruit that you recognize and realize that you are a part of the vine and that you truly are his disciples. You don't make yourself a disciple. And this is the distinction we have to make. You don't become a disciple just because you're obedient. But if you're a disciple, you will be obedient because you're a disciple of Christ who empowers you to be obedient. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I have also, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, God enables you to obey his commandments when you're empowered by his spirit. And that's how you're able to obey him. But oftentimes, we look at what God does and what God commands, and we think the opposite of verse 11. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. We often believe that obedience is gloomy. We often believe that when God commands us to do something, it's to burden us. It's to make us feel weary and, oh, I can never do it. I don't think, uh, like when your parents command you to obey, trust and obey me, son. And they tell you to like clean your room and you're like, this is pointless. This is dumb. I don't want to clean my room. Some, I mean, some of you have actually said in your hearts, you know, maybe I just have like insight right now. Some of you have said in your hearts, perhaps, my parents don't know what they're talking about. My parents are just here to make my life miserable, right? And you don't think that God actually loves you because of these commandments? But his commandments are not burdensome, the Bible tells us. And his commandments don't have to be gloomy because his commandments are actually, when you obey them, that's the grounding of your joy. Think about this. Jesus received joy when he obeyed the commandment of the Father to go into the world and to die for our sins. Jesus coming into the world being obedient is the prime example of how his joy was grounded in the commandments of God. And let me just tell you, there is nothing greater in life than obeying the commandments of the Lord. You know why? Because they often don't make sense. They just often don't. When God says, love your enemies, love your neighbor as yourself, and you recognize the ramifications of that, that means I have to love that person who I thought would kill me the next time I see them. And you actually do it and you see that God changes their hearts so that they're a completely different person and you loving them enables you to have this friendship you never thought possible. What joy. In what way could you ever have that happen in the world? The world doesn't teach you love your enemies. The world says get rid of your enemies. They're only going to harm you. Love your friends. Even mobsters, the Bible says, basically paraphrase. Even mobsters love their friends. 
But who loves their enemies? Only Jesus. And that's exactly what he did for us. This is my commandment, verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one, one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all the things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You see, Jesus, when he came into this world, he demonstrated his love for his friends, not just at the cross, but his entire life. You see, greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. The laying down of his life did not start when he went to the cross. He laid, laid down his life when he came to this earth. That's why Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. He has to take up his cross how many times? He says, daily take up his cross. You know, I think this is really important. So this is why I want to say this very clearly and make sure that we're all honing, honing in on this. When Jesus says to lay down your life for your friends, just as he has done that, we have to live a life not to ourselves, but we actually crucify our own life and say, Lord, I want to live for you, which means I might have to lay down my life for friends that I wouldn't consider friends. People that I would never consider my friends. So it's interesting because the commentators might look at this passage and say, greater love has no one than this, that to lay down one's life for his friends. But what about the commandment to lay down your life for enemies? Isn't that greater? Well, what it's talking about when Jesus says this, if you look at the context, he's talking about, he's not even addressing his enemies in this. You see, because we're all enemies of God until we come under the loving relationship of Jesus. So he's not even making the distinction, and neither are we. We're not to make the distinction between our friends and our enemies and who to love and who to, to hate and who to be against. We're to be loving to all God's people. And the loving thing, I'm not saying loving meaning just like let them do what they're doing. Loving does mean telling them of their sin. But saying it in a way that if they were to repent, you would embrace them with a hug. You would embrace them with open arms. A crucified life means you have a crucified Christ, yes, but you also crucify the idea and the distinction between uh, friendships and enemies. You have to just completely get it out. And say, you know what? When Jesus died on that cross, he forever removed the separation between God's enemies, the sinners, and brought them near to himself. So going back to the very first point, if you've ever felt far away from God, realize that God came down spatially into this world so that we could be brought near to God. Verse 16, and this is the... the continuation of this thought you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give you these things I command you that you love 
one another. You ever think of, of the fact that God chose you, that you didn't choose God? I mean, you did choose God, but God chose you first. And the thing that gives me comfort is I imagine, now this is my imagination, so just take it as you will. I imagine God before all eternity looking down and seeing helpless me saying, I wish it were possible to go to heaven, but I just keep on messing up. I just keep on falling into sin. I just keep on getting distracted. And God says, but I'm going to choose you and I'm going to pull you out. I look at my friends, guys, just honest. I look at my friends and I wonder why I didn't why I didn't stumble into the same sins that they did when they came out of high school. I wonder, because I see myself and I see how wicked I am, and I wonder why, if there's nothing special within me, why did God choose me to be rescued from the same sin that I could have seen so many different people go down, the same roads? And I think the only difference is, and I think the only reason, reason is, is because at a very young age, I just had that, that prayer and I just had that heart where I said, Lord, I'm not sure if this is real, but if you're out there, would you make yourself real to me? And that simple four-year-old heart where I just, I remember praying. I remember praying with my dad and we were on the couch and I was kneeling and I was folding my hands and I said, I don't want to go to hell. I want to know if this is real. And even after I prayed the prayer, Man, what is wrong with me? Even when I prayed the prayer, I still didn't feel like I had all the answers. I went through middle school. I went through high school. I always asked, is this for real? But because I kept on asking God to show himself to me, I think he answered my prayer. And now it is beyond a shadow of a doubt. I would give my life for this if I had to because I know that God lives and he's shown himself to me and he can show himself to you. So please, whatever you do, don't lose heart. Don't give up because you know what? In due season, he will show himself. But one of the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. And some of us need to realize that you just got to keep waiting. Even though you don't see the fruit, that doesn't mean that he's not pruning you so that it can come out and blossom. You don't know if the fruit that you have now will become greater. You don't know how greatly God will use you until you humble yourself and say, Lord, here am I. I can do nothing apart from you. Would you just use me? And when you pray that prayer, I can guarantee you, as the Bible says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart.
And the reason why I'm here is because I believe that message is so powerful and I am just so honored that God chose me and appointed me in verse 16 that I should go and bear fruit, that my fruit should remain. It shouldn't disappear. It's not like one day I'm going to lose my salvation and be afraid again, but that whatever I ask the Father in his name, he will give me. These commands, I command you in verse 17, that you love one another. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 16, 17, sorry, or 18. 18, we'll go to 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my word, they will also keep yours also. R.C. Sproul has this quote. If you made friends with the world, you must have done it by compromising Christ. That's not to say that you don't have friends in the world, but God has given us the mandate to go into the world and see them, see them as lost souls that need salvation. So when we go, we're on a mission. We're never just chilling with our friends as they're smoking dope or as they're drinking at parties. We're saying, how can I be a blessing? How can I show them the love of Christ? So that one day they would see the goodness of God leads us to repentance. When you're hanging around your friends that aren't Christian, or you just, you're so used to hanging around them, or maybe your friends that are Christian, quote unquote, but they haven't lived like it. You haven't seen any fruit in years. Are you looking at them as, oh, I'm just hanging out with my friends, and one day they're going to see that I'm a Christian, and one day they're going to ask me the hope that's within me? Or are you going to say something about it and say, man, you used to love God. What happened to that? Are you going to look at your friends that aren't saved and say, can I share with you the thing that will change your life forever? We are given the responsibility of reconciliation to call out to people saying, be reconciled to God. Verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. You know, Jesus tells us that the world will hate us because of him. You will have persecution. And this is exactly why he has his entire chapter laid out for us, saying he is the vine, he is the source, we are the branches. It's so that we would remember in the times that are hard, the times that we're persecuted, when we feel like we don't have a friend in the world, we remember we have a friend in Christ. I have called you my friends, he says. What a wonderful thing to be called, a friend of God. You may have no friends in the world, but you have a friend in Jesus Christ. And that's why he says, don't forget about my love for you. When they persecute you, it's not because they hate you, it's because they hate me. And if they hated me, they're gonna, if they hated me, they hate the Father also. It's not like they hate Jesus, but they love God. If you hate Jesus, you hate God because Jesus is God. And everyone has to come to that day and time when they recognize either this is legit or it's false. Is this really 
we're just coming here every single week because we want to like hear these fictional stories or do we actually believe that the word of God has the power to change lives and if it does then I think that God wouldn't be hiding in a corner just saying hey here I am come and get me but he would say I am the vine and you are actually attached to me if you are in me and you've asked me to be the Lord of your life but when the persecutions come don't be surprised concerning the fiery trials which are to try you as if some strange thing were happening to you because they went after God they crucified our Lord Jesus Christ would they not try to do everything they can to ruin your life but your joy and your hope does not have to be rooted in whether or not your friends like you some politicians will start to freak out the moment they have a two percent uh, decline in their popularity in the polls they're going up and up and up and up and the minute that there's a two percent decline all of a sudden they're freaking out because everything they've worked for everything they've achieved is going to be lost because their hope is not invested in God's opinion it was invested in the opinion of people and some of us might have the exact same thing you've invested so much in what your friends think about you and although you may not say it you know in the way that you present yourself the way that you dress or the way that you post pictures on social media or even just statuses on social media or tweets on social media you'll put things out hoping that people like them favorite them because if they don't you won't feel like you have anything worthy to offer or worthy to say but that's not true because God is the one who gives you the words to say and when you rely on God's words you can be guaranteed that God's words never return void you can always change someone's life as long as you're speaking the words of Christ so the question is not can you change can you be an influence to someone else the question is are you allowing God to be the influence in your life so you can be an influence in other people's lives you don't ever have to go evangelize and saying I hope this will work you can say I know it's gonna work because the Word of God never returns void and although I may not see it now one day it will bear fruit because it is born fruit in my life we just need patience and although you may not see the reason for it, you might feel attacked from every side you know what that's exactly what Jesus felt like and when you suffer you are joining in the sufferings of Christ and Jesus sees you up there from heaven and saying you know what I am so happy that you and I know what it's like to suffer and I'm so glad that we have something in common now paraphrasing of course I don't know what to actually say the fact that you're suffering is not your own fault even King David says I am persecuted without a cause my enemies are chasing after me I didn't even do anything wrong Saul hated David try to chuck spears at him to kill him and David said I didn't even do anything I didn't choose myself I didn't say I want to be king Samuel just came out and says I'm choosing this guy like what well, I didn't even I didn't even call myself but God called me and because he called me now I'm being persecuted and so Jesus was Jesus was persecuted without cause David was Jesus was and so will you you will have times where people are just nasty to you for absolutely no reason why well if they persecuted him they're going to persecute you I never thought it'd come from that person I respected that person well you know what it happened to him it'll happen to you the high priests and the religious leaders of the day were the very people that crucified Jesus if it happened to him it will happen to you I'm not saying that you're necessarily going to have to die for your faith it's happened to people in the past most likely it's not going to happen to you I'm just saying statistically it's not 
But all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The Bible promises it. But you don't have to be sad about that. You don't have to be worried because as he says in John 16, 33, as we're learning next week, if you come back, you don't run away forever. He says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You don't have to be afraid. What do we have to fear? We should be able to go out into the world and have boldness because the things that we say will always have an influence because we remain attached to the vine who himself is our source. Without him we can do nothing, but with him we can do everything. Verse 24, if I had not, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word may be fulfilled which is written in their law. They have hated me without a cause, as we just talked about. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's go to the first four verses of the next chapter. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. In other words, time's coming, he's, it would come very soon, that Paul the Apostle himself, before he was Paul, he was Saul, he would kill Christians because he thought he was doing God a service by killing Christians. Verse 3, and these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me, but these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. In other words, he's saying, I am telling you these things so that you will not be made to stumble. Let me tell you something really quickly. Everyone look up here. The greatest danger in the Christian life is not death, it's apostasy. Apostasy meaning falling away from Christ. Your greatest danger is not dying, it's falling away from the vine. But you don't have to walk in this world in sorrow because he gives us true joy that the world can never take away. He gives us true peace that can only be found in him that the world can never give and the world can't ever take away. And that's why it is so, so important to continually be washed, to be pruned, to be cleaned by this book. Because apart from his words, if his word isn't abiding in us, how in the world are we ever going to bear the fruits of obedience, the fruits of joy, the fruits of loving one another even when it's hard, and the fruits of bearing witness in the world. How will you share the gospel with people if you're not in the gospel? How will you be able to love one another if you don't know the truth about how God has loved you? How will you be able to be obedient if you don't recognize that your obedience isn't going to win you salvation, but your salvation is already won by Jesus, and he just calls you to walk in his ways, and you have the freedom to obey now? How will you ever have joy if you're not reading the most encouraging words in the entire universe? It's all written in this book, and to the degree that we read it is to the degree that we'll feel close to God. You are not far from God. In fact, that's what Paul said, didn't he? That in him we move and have our being, though he is not far from any one of us. He's always at hand's reach, but you still got to reach. He is the bread of life, but you still have to partake of him. He is living water, but you still got to drink. And when you do, there's nothing in this world 
that is more satisfying, but you have to see it to believe it. You have to remain in the vine. You may be weary, you may be tired, you may feel discouraged, but if you have hope in God, He will allow you to bear fruit in time. Let's pray.